morning. My name is Linda and I'll be reading God's word to you this morning. We will be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. When John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees often fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unstrung, sorry, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. morning. It's very nice to be with you. If I haven't met you before, I'm Reuben. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at the branch, at, not the branch. That's where I'm at, that's where I'm at here. That's right. <laughs> I'm at Riverbank Christian Church uh, over in Riverside. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to be with you. I've been praying for you guys, uh, excited to see how you're growing and how God's working and trusting that uh, he'll provide a, a pastor, but, but more than that, that he'll be growing you uh, with or without that man. Uh, Let's pray together uh, as we come to his word now. Lord God, we come to your word uh, as we've just sung uh, with expectant hearts, expecting to meet you, expecting uh, to be encouraged, uh, expecting, Lord, that you would change our lives, draw us closer to you, make us more committed to you, Uh, Convince us, Lord, that there is no one lovelier and better and more worthy of living for than you. Please do this now through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite parts of being a pastor is is catching up with people. Uh, I really enjoy being able to uh, hear their stories, uh, share their struggles. As I've done that over recent years, there's this one theme that just seems to come up again and again. One wrestle, which is, which is this. Why, why is it so hard to be who I want to be, to become who I want to be, to do what I want to do? Now, I mean, most of us have the sense, don't we, of, of who we want to be, that there's the sense of what's most important, of what we want to prioritize and work on, and yet it can be really hard to put that into action. It can feel like you're wading through waist-deep mud, and there are people on the banks throwing objects at you. Many things in life keep coming at us, don't they? Um, I think sometimes it's just busyness, isn't it? Work and kids and exercise and cooking and shopping and cleaning and homework and assignments and serving at church and spending time with our friends and our extended families. We we can be very busy. Other times... We just struggle because we're distracted. 
Maybe we actually do have the time to do what we want to do, but then when we sit down and we try and focus and we try and make it happen, we're, we're all over the place. Other times, I think we struggle because of entertainment. Social media, TV shows, games, apps, hobbies, sport. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's not me consuming the entertainment, it's more like the entertainment is consuming me. And then, as a Christian, well, all of this stuff impacts my relationship with God, too. Very often, if I'm honest, I'm not where I want to be in my relationship with God. I want to love Him and put Him first in my life. It's really hard. I mean, if I'm honest, I, I almost always get to the end of the week and, well, I, I can't say, yeah, no, I, I prayed as much as I wanted to. I think I spent enough time with God this week. I live with this almost constant feeling of, hopefully next week will be better. Hopefully next week things will be a bit more streamlined and I'll sort it out. And, and that week almost never comes, does it? Maybe you can relate. The question is, what do we do about this? In a world of busyness and distraction, how do we stay on track? How do we actually become who we want to become? Make the main thing the main thing. Well, there's lots we could say about that, isn't there? Um, certainly in the Christian life, there are a few things that are particularly key. One of those would be God's Word, soaking ourselves in the Bible and hearing God's voice. Another would be prayer, uh, relying on God as we pray to Him continually. And another would be staying connected with God's people, the church, serving it, belonging to it, growing within the church community. Th those are kind of the ABCs of, of Christian life, of Christian habits, aren't they? Bible prayer church. Uh, but today we're going to think about another spiritual habit. And I don't think we talk about this very much. Maybe we don't think about it much at all. But I wonder if it could be very helpful. Fasting. This morning we're asking, should Christians fast? How might it help us keep God at the center of our lives? And put the most important things first in our lives? Well, to answer those questions, we want to go to the Bible, don't we? Want to see what the Bible says about fasting? We're going to do that by starting in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. What does the Old Testament say about fasting? Well, in the Old Testament, God only commanded one fast each year. It's the Day of Atonement, it says this in Leviticus 23. We'll click through there. Leviticus 23, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves, that means fast, and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. So this is a day where the whole nation stops from all their usual activities and, and they focus on God. This day of atonement, meaning that they, they confess their sins and, and seek God's purification, offering sacrifices because of their sins. And it was the only day in the whole year that God commanded his people to fast. 
But then also in the Old Testament, we find God mentioning other times when his people chose to fast. Uh, They did that for various reasons. One reason was to repent. For example, uh, when the exiles returned to Jerusalem, they had a national day of fasting to confess their sin. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Uh, Another reason for fasting was to pray for deliverance. Uh, For example, when Ezra and the exiles are getting ready to make the dangerous journey back to the promised land, we read this. There by the Havar Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. And a third reason for fasting was to mourn. After uh, King Saul and his son Jonathan, Jonathan are killed in battle, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 1 that David and all the people fast and mourn. So, repenting, praying for deliverance, mourning. What do all of those things have in common, do you think? They're about humbling yourself before God, aren't they? And seeking Him earnestly. But why fasting? Why not eating? Why don't we just wear black and listen to sad music? Well, eating is one of the most basic things that we do as humans, isn't it? Especially in those days, food would take a long time to prepare Meals each day, they they were a significant moment. And so fasting was a way of interrupting your normal routine. Pausing from something physical to focus your attention on the spiritual. And we see this in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Moses is talking to Israel about the 40 years that they had to wander around in the desert. He says in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, God humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Why? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So fasting is a a powerful way of reminding us that this physical world is not all there is. That life is about more than just food and work and physical comfort. We don't live by bread alone. Life is profoundly spiritual. It is ultimately all about seeking and depending on God. So, so there you go. We've looked at the Old Testament very quickly, but what about the New Testament, the second half of the Bible? Well, the most significant passage is the one we read just before. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Turn there again in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9. Let's read verse 14 together. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so that tells us something, that the, the Jews fasted often. It seems like since the Old Testament, they've 
upped their game massively from fasting once a year on the Day of Atonement. They were now expected to fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And so the people are confused because Jesus comes and his disciples are not fasting. And they ask Jesus why. Have a look at how Jesus responds to their question there in verse 15. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. He says, at the moment, it's not time for fasting. It's time for feasting. Why? Because the long-awaited Messiah, the King, the Saviour, has arrived. He uses the illustration here of a wedding. After my wife, Shan, and I got married, we went on a two-week road trip for our honeymoon. But in Jewish society, the happy couple didn't go on a honeymoon. Uh, Instead, they had a huge week-long party with all their family and friends. It was a time of feasting and celebration. And Jesus saying, if you really knew who I was, you'd be celebrating like that, not fasting. It's party time because I am the bridegroom. Why are you fasting and praying for God to send a saviour when he's standing right in front of you? And then Jesus illustrates this another way in verses 16 and 17. Let's read that. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." Jesus says, new and old don't go together. Don't expect that your old Jewish ways of doing everything is going to stay the same. It's it's all going to change now that I'm here. God's promised kingdom is finally here. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He's the saviour of the world. Wouldn't it be silly if you were so focused on your fasting habits that you missed what they were pointing to? That would be like standing in front of the pyramids of Egypt with your nose down in the tourist brochure looking at a photo of the pyramids. So in a nutshell, Jesus was saying, don't don't worry about fasting right now. It's party time because I'm here. Your fasting is about longing for God's presence and and God's salvation, and and here it is. Hooray. But, But then Jesus adds something else important, doesn't he? It won't always be party time. See what he says in the second half of verse 15? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. What does he mean when he says he'll be taken away? Is he talking about those two days where Jesus is going to be dead and buried? Or is he talking about more than that? Not just his death and burial, but also his ascension. The whole time leading up to his second coming when he returns. Which view is correct? Well, you have to work that out for yourself. Uh, Good people disagree on that. Personally, I think he's probably talking about the whole period of time from, from his ascension through to his second coming, which we're still waiting for. Why do I say that? A few reasons, real quick. First, because in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 
Jesus teaches his disciples how to fast. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And he says, when you fast, fast like this. Which seems to mean he's assuming it will be normal for his disciples to fast. Also, there's evidence in the book of Acts that the New Testament church fasted. In Acts 9, Paul fasts for three days after his conversion. In Acts 13, the church leaders fast before they send out missionaries. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas fast as they appoint new elders in the churches. And in in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us we're still waiting for the bridegroom. It's true that right now, Jesus is with us, isn't he? He's with us through the Holy Spirit. But we're still groaning and longing for our redemption to be complete. I was thinking about that again this week. I just cannot wait to to see Jesus face to face and all of the struggle and the sin and the suffering to be done. That's the state of longing that we live in right now. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's when you fast. Okay, let's quickly recap. If you got lost in there, no worries, welcome back. Uh, we have seen that people in the Old Testament fasted. And we've seen that Jesus seems to assume that Christians will also fast until he returns again. Which is all well and good, but you may have realized we've never really stopped to talk about the heart of fasting yet, have we? What exactly is fasting? Why might we choose to fast? Well, here's a definition. Fasting is going without something physical in order to seek God earnestly, humbly, and prayerfully. I'll say that again. Fasting is going without something physical in order to seek God earnestly, humbly, and prayerfully. And I say something physical because I don't think food is the only thing that we can fast from. Now, back in the day, food preparation would take hours, and to fast would free up a lot of time. Time for prayer, time for connecting with God. Nowadays, food prep is a lot faster, and I think things like social media and TV and apps and games and books take far more of our time. Which is not to say that food isn't still an important way to fast, but It's not the only thing we could fast from. Why would we go without those things for a period of time? Well, not because they're sinful. Not because the physical world is evil. Many of these things are really good gifts from God. But fasting declares, remember, humans don't live by bread alone. Fasting declares there's more to life than this world. I want the giver, not just the gifts. That's what fasting says. It declares that our hope is set on the age to come, not on the temporary pleasures of this life. Do you remember at the start we talked about just that challenge of putting God first in our lives with all of the busyness and the, the chaos? Fasting is a practical way of saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm hungry for you. You are the most important thing, and I want to put you first in my life. When, when are the times we might choose to fast? 
well, we might choose to fast as a way of repenting. Remember, repentance isn't just saying sorry. Uh, It's really turning your whole heart and your whole life towards God and pursuing Him. Israel fasted for one day a year to repent. I wonder if we ever make intentional time to stop, uh, to think carefully about our relationship with God, to reflect on our sin, to confess it. Or second, we might also choose to fast as a way of praying for guidance. In Acts, we see Christians fasting before they make important decisions, especially when appointing leaders or missionaries. Why? Why is fasting part of that? Well, it's, it's about humble dependence, isn't it? It seems to be a way of saying, God, we are just weak human beings. We can't make this decision on our own. And so we're here and we're listening for your wisdom and your guidance. I think it would be appropriate for Christians to fast before they make a big decision. Or they might fast and pray about a particular mission opportunity or a particular crisis in the church or the world. And they might do that as individuals, but we might also fast as families and as as corporate church community together. So repenting, praying for guidance. And and third, I think fasting can be helpful for just growing in self-discipline. You might remember 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about how he disciplines his body and keeps it under control like an athlete, you know, training for the race so that nothing will stop him winning that heavenly prize. And God does call Christians to be moderate and responsible in everything. Can you imagine going a day without food or coffee? Can you imagine going a week without watching TV or drinking alcohol? Can you imagine going a month without using social media? Jesus warned us in the parable of the sower that the riches and the pleasures of this life can choke our faith. And maybe fasting could be a way of training ourselves to be more disciplined and self-controlled and godly. So there's some ideas of when we might choose to fast. It could be part of repenting or or seeking guidance or just being self-disciplined. But I do need to issue a warning at this point because fasting can be dangerous. I'm serious about that. Fasting can be dangerous. What are the dangers of fasting? Well, it can actually be medically dangerous. If, if you have diabetes or you're pregnant or you have a history of struggling with eating disorders, it's probably best not to fast. That's totally fine, at least not from food. If, if weight loss or dieting is something that's often on your mind, then you, you've got to be careful when you fast from food. Because if fasting ends up making you just focus on how you feel and how you look rather than on God... It's not helpful, is it? Uh, But there are also spiritual dangers associated with fasting. The first one is pride. Pride. Jesus said in Matthew 6, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, 
that is just do what you would usually do when you get ready in the morning, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. So if your heart's not humble when you fast, it's useless, it's, it's probably even dangerous. Beware of pride. Second, be, beware of fasting to punish yourself. Christians should control their bodies but never punish them. God has a high view of the human body. It's not to be mistreated or flagellated. Christ has borne all the punishment for your sin on his own body. So beware of fasting as some way of atoning a little bit extra for your sins when you're feeling particularly guilty. Beware of pride, beware of punishment. And third, beware of making fasting about performance. Performance. Fasting won't make God love you anymore. It's not going to earn you any extra saint points. It's not going to force him to answer your prayers the way you want him to. God's grace is free. All the blessings of God are poured out freely on everyone who simply trusts in Christ. So as you fast, keep a close watch on your heart. Beware of fasting that might turn into pride or punishment or performance. Now, now we've been asking this morning, should Christians fast? We've seen that the New Testament doesn't actually command Christians to fast, but it does seem to assume that we would choose to. I think that's, that's how I'd sum it up. Why? As a way of earnestly seeking God in prayer. Not... Not just that flippant, quick, uh, yep, I shoot a quick prayer to God because I've got a spare moment type of prayer. But the sacrificial, time intensive, using our whole bodies and souls to seek God type of prayer. Let me get really honest for a second. <laughs> um, do you know what my gut reaction is when I think about fasting? My gut reaction is to think, but we don't really need to do that, though, do we? It sounds a bit over the top. It's a bit unnecessary, isn't it? It sounds like hard work. Oh, will I still be a Christian if I don't? Cool. And that is really telling, isn't it? That response is really telling. It diagnoses something significant about where I'm at with God. What kind of relationship I want to have with Him. Could it be that I only seek God when it's convenient to me? Could it be that I don't really want to sacrifice anything in order to seek God? Could it be that I might benefit from seeking God with more determination, not because I have to, but because I want to? Well, if this sermon has made you think, oh, I might actually be interested in trying fasting, let me just leave you briefly with a couple of practical pieces of advice. Before you fast, think about how, think about when, think about why. Okay, how, how will you fast? Will you fast from food? Will you just uh, use water, maybe some juice as well? Uh, or maybe you'll fast from TV or from social media or from shopping or from alcohol or whatever it is. How will you fast? And, and when will you fast? Set aside a specific time. I've done this, 
I have fasted where I thought, I'll just fast because I forgot my lunch. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's not a helpful fast. Allocate a specific time. Are you going to fast for half a day, a whole day, a week? Start small. Start small and work up. And most importantly, why will you fast? Set aside a specific focus. Is it to repent and, and recommit to God? Is it because you want to be less distracted by the world or a particular temptation? Maybe it's because you want to pray for something specific. And don't just plan what you're going to cut out. Plan what you're going to replace it with. You wouldn't be the first person to fast from TikTok for a week and spend that whole week on YouTube. <laughs> Think about how you're going to spend this extra time in order to connect with God. Uh, get creative about how you're going to pray. Maybe you go for prayer walks. Maybe you'll listen to Christian music or read Christian books or partner with a, a friend. Think about how you're going to fast and when you're going to fast and especially why you're going to fast. But at the end of the day, whether we choose to fast or not, let's always remember that the love of Jesus, our bridegroom, is, is completely free and, and abundant. And as Christians, we have tasted that, haven't we? We've had the entree and we are hanging out for mains. We're not going to be satisfied until the lover of our souls comes back again takes us home and there's a banquet and all the longings of our hearts are fulfilled forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come and that you have brought salvation. You have brought all the things that we long for most deeply things far better than anything physical in this world. You have brought us love and forgiveness and hope and joy and peace. Lord, these are the things that we love the most and long for the most. And we're longing for you to finish what you've started. We're longing for you to come back, Lord Jesus to make all things new, to take away all those sins and those struggles and those times of apathy and those times where we, we waste our time on the wrong things and we look back on another week where we think, I wasn't, I wasn't as committed to you as I should have been. Lord, teach us as your people again and again to come back to you. May we become more and more disciplined and dedicated to you. And may we even use something practical like fasting to help us do that. Give us wisdom in this. Help us to think about it. Help us to do it with the right motives if we do. Lord, we thank you that your grace is free and flowing. We thank you that you're coming back soon. Please strengthen us until that day. Help us to live not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. In Jesus' name. Amen.